0: And this is a message from about three weeks ago when I got sidetracked and didn't get past the first reference. <laughs> and then last week, Brother George was here, and so it's been a while since we've looked at the book. Read with us, please, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know of our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered abroad and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness nor of men sought we glory neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ now father we ask you to open our eyes news of understanding we ask you this morning father to give us uh, great grace father open Lord uh, our minds that the word of God may find fertile ground that the word of God, Lord, may spring forth. And Lord, we pray that the cares of this world won't choke it, Father, or the, or the fowls of the air would come and snatch it away. But Lord, we ask it to bring forth. And and Father, bring that fruit that, that you intend for it too. And we ask you this morning to guide each thing that's said and each thing that's done. Thank you again for bringing my brothers from Kansas City. God bless them, Lord, spiritually make their time profitable. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First Thessalonians chapter two, as you as you know. Good morning. As you know, as we've come through, Paul is beginning a dialogue in chapter two, and we're going to try and make up some time because we parked in chapter one for months, and uh, we're going to try and make up some time in chapter two. And Paul begins by by, a lot, by talking about his entering in, and we talked to you earlier about about the affliction Paul suffered in Acts chapter sixteen at Philippi and. Talked about him being beaten with many stripes. We went through that with you last time. But this morning I'm going to look specifically at verse 4. As Paul begins talking, he says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth the hearts. I this morning want to address you as, as Paul addresses the Thessalonians, that we please God and not man. This is so pivotal and so basic, and everything that we do for this very point is the basis and the catalyst by which you do what you do. You see, one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and every one of us are going to receive the things done in our body, whether they're good or bad, if you were saved here this morning. And because you were saved, and because you're a child of God, you are judged this morning as what? On earth you are judged as a what? And in heaven you are judged as a what? Do you remember? I covered this before. Okay? Amen. On earth you are dealt with as a son of God. On earth, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that despise not the chastening of the Lord, for he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And then he goes on there and he, and he says, that if you're not scourged as a son, you're a bastard. You're not God's son. And when we get to heaven, we are then judged as a servant. And that servitude is is then based upon what we did on earth. Now we've come through and we've taught you Job 26, the uh, seven probable questions of the judgment seat, and we've come through and, and talked about those things in the past. And I want you to understand this morning, as we look at Paul's, Paul's um, exclamation here in verse 4, please understand that the judgment seat of Christ is based upon Paul's statement, that you please God and not men. When I had the junior high department, God really taught me this, and I remember one big workers' meeting we had way back when, when, when uh, we, we basically came through the thing teaching that there are three things that are going to affect the judgment of Christ for you. There's gonna <laughs> going to be basically three things that are going to determine your stance, going be, to be, as Paul said, that you not be ashamed at that day. And those are number one. The time you spend in that book right there in front of you. The time that you invested in that book, the time that that book invested in you. The second thing would be then, the time that you invested in in yourself and in your family, in the things that are yours. And thirdly, the thing is, what you invested in others. You see, number one, the book deals with your relationship with God. It deals with him talking to you, you talking to him, you meditating upon that book. The second thing deals with you, taking care of you and yours. For you see, I learned a long time ago that if I spend all my time ministering to you, I may lose me or my family. See? So I have got to, number one, be concerned about my vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, I must be concerned with my wife and my son. And then thirdly, I must be concerned with those around me. Now, the one common factor that that judgment seat is going to be based upon is heart attitude. Why did you do what you did? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why, what is the motive? What is the underlying reason that is prompting you or compelling you to do what you You do. You see, that's the thing that separates the men from the boys. We could take two parallel churches with two very similar congregations and two very similar pastors who have about the same oratorical ability, who have about the same understanding of the ministry and the pastorate, and we could take those churches who are doing basically the same work and reaching approximately the same number of people, and at the judgment seat of Christ the rewards for one church to another could be as different as night and day. You say, why? Because one church may have been laboring in the flesh, laboring for the circumstances and the physical surroundings. The pastor may have gotten up and preached because he is the pastor. That he now has, is a rev. That he now has come to the place to where he has arrived, to where, you know, whatever reason you might come through. The praise and the glory of men Amen. You with me? Amen. The other pastor may be up there, uh, giving himself to Jesus Christ and saying, "Holy Spirit of God, this morning, let not I speak, but you. Holy Spirit of God, take me and use. Let the word of God find its mark in lives. And although physically, although on the surface, although both churches may be fundamental, both churches may be may have a very great facade." The thing that is the difference between those two churches are the heart. Why are you in the pew? Why am I in the pulpit? See, why do we do what we do? Paul is very specific to say, now hey, when God allowed us to have the gospel in verse 4, he says, we spoke to you plainly, not as pleasing men, but as God. And look at the next thing he says, which trieth the hearts. He said, I am going to speak, and anything I do is going to please God. Why? Because God is going to try the hearts. The word try in the Old English may be be used today as the word prove. God is going to prove your heart. Now, turn with me, please, to the same book, the fourth chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I've talked to you, and one reason we're in this book is because The church of Thessalonica is probably the model church as far as an epistle for us to pattern our lives after as a church. This church is is a church that Paul exhorted, a church that Paul commended. (coughs) This church is a church that Paul loved, that was reaching all of Macedonia and Achaia with the gospel. So much so that Paul needed not to speak when he came. Now look what he says as he continues in this letter to them in chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore... Then we we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, here we go, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. He said, you received of me when I was in your town how you should walk in the gospel. You received of me what kind of life you should live. Now he says, I exhort you that you get that thing over and over and let it grow and let it grow. Let it abound and abound more and more. Get the impression. Paul says, You, not only, not only do I have the responsibility to please God in what I said to you, but you have the responsibility to take what I said and walk with it, and use it, and let Jesus Christ be glorified in your life. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? So the bottom line is, pleasing God, not man. Pleasing God, not man. Turn me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, (laughs) the first chapter. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Look with us in verse 7. Colossians 1, 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us the love in the Spirit, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all, what? Pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Question, who is God? Isn't God the Creator, the Holy God who spoke the world into existence? Amen? Isn't God the I Am? (laughs) Isn't God the Alpha, the Omega? Isn't God God? What do you think it would take for you to do? What kind of walking, what kind of life do you think it would take for you to please a holy, triune God? Any ideas? It would be on a par of excellence, wouldn't it? (laughs) Paul said to the Colossians, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Wow! Now, let me, let, me, let me boast for just a moment. In 1979, my wife and I walked down an aisle. We were at Kmart, but that's, that does not matter. No, <laughs> so we got married. And at that time, we walked down the aisle, and, and we, we, we exchanged uh, some vows, and um, as we exchanged those vows, she then took on my name, right, and became my, my whiffy. And as she became a part of me, and as as we then forged lives together, what happened? She then took on the responsibility to bear my name properly. Amen? The Bible says when I got saved, the Bible says that Jesus Christ gave me his name. We like to take that thing in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We like to take that thing as using God's name in vain as in cussing. But it goes far beyond that. It goes more to the place of where, as Renee took my name when we entered into an agreement of marriage, when you entered into an agreement with God of salvation, you took His name. Now, my wife could go out and flute around and run around and drag my name through the mud and give me problems and fits and testimonies and destroy everything about my name and my family name. And you all know of people in the community to whom... The jaws are flapping, don't we? Of course, we don't listen, but, but that's another story. <laughs> she is to walk worthy of my name, amen? Just like you wives are to walk worthy of your husband's name. I'm a mortal man that does sin from time to time. I am a mortal man whose expectations are not near the expectations of a holy God. You know what God says? Paul says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. That statement right there, if one of us could grab that thing in all of its infancy, in uh, all of the, the greatness of that saying, would be enough for us to chew on from now till about halfway through eternity. And then we would have just started to get that thing. Walking worthy of God. What is God worthy of? I mean, this morning could take a board and begin listing. God is worthy of anything He wants, isn't He? God is worthy of anything that He desires. And the Bible says that we're to walk worthy of the Lord. In all pleasing. In all pleasing. Let me ask you a couple questions. This is the first time in our church we've had fans out. I want you to know that. You people, either shiver in this church or sweat. That's the way it goes. Romans chapter 14. Let's see what is pleasing to God. Let's see what the Bible has to say about being acceptable to God. Brother Bob Alexander and I have had differences over this in the past. I can remember a Bible Institute about five years ago coming through somewhere where we got talking about the judgment of Christ, and Bob, is, Bob and I just have different outlooks on life, and I see Mark back there grinning. We just have, if, if, if we were to take this bell, and I won't touch it by the hand, but if I, if I were to take this bell and I would have filled it half full of water, and Bruce is cringing as I talk about that with bell, <laughs> This is the one I fixed years ago, no. And take this thing and fill it up with water. Bob Alexander would see it half empty. And I would see it half full. You say, what are you talking about? That's just the way we are. (laughs) Bob Alexander is scared to death of the judgment of Christ. And so am I. I really am. I'm not going to be pious and all that. I'm scared of the thing. But I see in my Bible over and over and over and over again that you be not ashamed at that thing. That you be not ashamed. That you be not ashamed. That you be not ashamed. And it's the difference in personality. To me, it's so graphic. The Bible says that you can stand before Him at that day and not be ashamed. The Bible says that at the judgment of Christ, every man will have praise of God. That that is going to be a day. But it's also going to be a day when there's going to be some tails kicked. It's also going to be a day of some tears. It's going to be a day of the whole gamut of emotion. Romans chapter 14, look if you please in verse 18. (coughs) Ask away verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Boy, right there is what Brother Peel should have gotten in his book. Right there is what Rockefeller should have written on how to win friends and influence people. Right there is the key that all the positive thinkers should get and write down because God just gave you the key to be acceptable with God and to please men. You see what he says there? He has just given you the key that you can be approved of men and accepted with God. What is that? not living in meat, not living in drink, verse 17, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable. You know what that bottom line is? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. That's the bottom line. If you, my brother, you, my sister, will take, as Paul did, as he commanded the Thessalonians, to walk in an acceptable manner, pleasing God with your entire being, The Bible says that God will accept you, that God will be pleased, and that that day you'll have rejoicing. You say, what is the common denominator? Why are you doing what you're doing? If you're here this morning for whatever reason that the flesh may have, if you're here this morning for an ulterior motive, or you're here this morning for any other reason than just to know and to worship the Son of God, then, my friend, the heart is wrong. And that is not acceptable to God. But if you're this morning to get down before his, before his presence and worship Him and be fed by Him and have the Holy Spirit of God minister to your life, then my friend, that's acceptable to God. What's the difference? The heart. <coughs> What's the difference? The heart attitude. Pleasing God. Pleasing God. Now I want you to notice. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to notice what the result of this pleasing God is. Second Corinthians chapter ten look with me in verse fifteen. Second Corinthians ten fifteen. The Bible says not boasting of things without measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Preach the gospel in the regions beyond and not to boast another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Look at verse 18 very carefully. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. You see that thing? The Bible says that if I run around and I say, you know, I have my PhD and I pastor a church of 9 million and, and you know, we have 476,212 buses that run every Sunday and, and we do this and we do that and we do this and God's done and, and we begin commending ourselves and, and, and exalting the work and exalting our labors, the Bible says that man is not approved. But a man is approved when God approves him. Now, can you think back to our study in the first chapter of the book? We talked about God's seal of approval on a man. Does anybody remember what that was? Curveball. The seal of approval of God upon a man is the power of God resting upon His ministry. Remember we talked one Sunday about the power of God resting upon a people and upon a man. And Paul said, when I when I delivered you the Word, let's read, let's read it. Turn back to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us, having received the word in much affliction, with joy. Of the holy ghost paul said god approved us that we were his man by the power of god upon our ministry and he said because you saw god's approval because you saw god's um god's uh, acceptance he said then you became followers of us are you with me i'm just listening for snoring <laughs> Turn to chapter 2 with me, please. <coughs> Let's look at some things Paul lists that he didn't do to the church. Look at me in verse 3. He says in 2.3, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. You know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't come in and lie to him. Paul didn't come in and make things look a little bigger than they were. You know what what the temptation is, especially coming from a big church in Kansas City to a little church or no church at all? The temptation is, up there everything's grand. Up there everything's big. Up there everything is professional. Up there everything is done right. Truman Dollar's motto was, if if you're not going to do it right for the Lord, don't do it at all. And he would take spare no expense to do the thing right and proper, And I believe that. But to come down to a rural poor county and, and come down here and start a church, many times it would be easy to try and pull that bigness with you and be just a little deceitful. Are you with me? And Paul said, I didn't use any deceit. So he says next, <coughs> Nor uncleanness, nor guile. Drop down to verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men. You all know, we've talked about this in the past. Probably the greatest, the greatest, let me say it one more time, the greatest temptation in the ministry and in the the pew is to be concerned about pleasing those sitting next to you. Probably the greatest temptation is pleasing those people listening <laughs> listen to. Well, how are you going to build a church if you say things and do like? Well, how are you going to build a church if you talk about sin all the time? Well, how are you going to build a church if, if you don't kind of cater to the people's needs and desires and wants? Paul said... Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. So Paul didn't please men. Notice next, verse 5. Neither used, but any time, flattering words. Paul didn't shovel manure. Paul didn't snow them. Paul didn't come in and, and buffalo them. Paul didn't flatter them. He goes on. As you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. The book of Colossians defines covetousness as idolatry. Paul said, I didn't come in coveting what you've got. I didn't come in here wanting any of your wives. I didn't come in wanting your money or wanting whatever you had to give. I didn't come in here hiding my true intents. I didn't come in here looking to get you to come so I could stick it to you. He said, I don't have any idolatry. I don't want anything you've got. In fact, he told the Corinthians. He said, "I labored and paid my own bills while I was with you, so that you'd have nothing against me, no reason to point a finger at me." But you owed it to me, he said. You don't, you don't, you don't muzzle the ox to tread the corn. So he goes through the thing and he begins telling us, verse five again. For neither used we at any time flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, <coughs> when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. This whole thing about pleasing God revolves around one thing. heartitude. right? Amen? Talk to me this morning. Want to have some after practice or anything? Uh, amen? Yeah. You know what heartitude revolves? Re- bye-bye heart attitude revolves around your ideas about yourself. If you my friend are a selfish individual, you my friend will have selfish motives and you my friend will not have the right heart attitude that God wants you to have. But if you my brother are a selfless individual allowing Jesus Christ to fill you and use you daily, then, my friend, that harditude will be right, that he might use you and receive glory and honor from you. Do you understand? So to use Brother Jeff's analogy that Bruce so aptly put together in his testimony, put your message in one sentence. Okay? Here it is. Labor that you might not please men, but as unto the Lord. Labor, not as pleasing men, but as in the Lord. That's what the key is. If you will remove yourself from the throne of your life and yield yourselves as instruments of righteousness, Romans chapter 6. If you'll, in Romans chapter 12, give yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, my friend, He will then take your sacrifice your body that's basically void of will <coughs> and use it in a manner that's acceptable. Once again Romans Romans chapter 14. once again he said, "For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable. Do you understand? What are they? Righteousness, joy, or peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you, my friend, will every day examine yourself and see if you're righteous, are you petty? Are you selfish? Are you a backbiter? Got a gossip? Problem with the tongue? Those are the things as the Holy Spirit of God points them out in your life, you're to then take, remove, and replace it with righteousness. Paul taught Timothy. He said, "He said the word of God has got four applications. He said it's to reprove. What do you remember what they are? Second Timothy three sixteen. For so the word of God is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine: What I should believe. reprove What's wrong in my life. Correction: How do I correct it? Now, how do I live after it's corrected?" Instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's our goal. That's our desire. Pleasing God rather than man. (coughs) If this morning you will take a little simple message like this that has no real kick to it, that has no real ump to it, that's not got a lot of tear-jerking analogies, but you'll take the very easy principle that I am to please God and not men, my friend, it will do more to change your eternity than anything else I can tell you. It will do more to improve your stature at the judgment seat of Christ than any of the ten things I could teach you. You say, why? Because the whole thing of Christianity is why are you serving God or why do you do what you do? That's the bottom line. That's the thing in a nutshell labor not as pleasing men but god spray